Dr. Alan Leica here, and I'd like to welcome you to How to Live a Fantastic Life Show, where we will be discussing the important aspects of your life. We hope to inspire you to live the best life you can. Get out of your comfort zone and explore the awesome world around you. Break through your barriers. Take inspired action. Use the difficulties in your life to achieve the best version of you. Ladies and gentlemen, I have the extreme pleasure of having Dr. Nora Gold as my desk, as my guest today. She's an editor, a former professor, and the author of three books of fiction. And she was once a one-time social worker and a tenured professor in social work before she went into a business that her heart sings in and she really resonates to. Also for six years, she was the writer in residence for women's studies at the University of Toronto. Her first book, Marrow and Other Stories, won a Canadian Jewish Book Award and was praised by Alice Munro. Fields of Exile won the 2015 Canadian Jewish Literary Award and praised from both Cynthia Ozick and Erin Cutter. And Gold's most recent book, The Dead Man, received glowing reviews, including those from the Los Angeles Review of Books and won a Canada Council translation grant, resulting in The Dead Man being published in Hebrew. An excerpt, an excerpt of this novel was also translated into Hungarian, and it appeared in a prominent literary journal in Hungary. So we have the well-traveled and well-published, eminent Nora Gold with us today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Dr. Leica. Well, it really is a pleasure to have you. And how did you, how did your heart start to sing with publishing and writing? How did you move into that field from a field where you were probably pretty comfortable in? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I have always written stories, even from the time I was a child. And I had my first story published when I was in university at McGill. And it was something that I always did alongside everything else. Um, I loved social work and I loved being a social work professor. But at a certain point, you know, the one is led to believe that you can have it all in life. You can have two simultaneous careers and do them both well. And fortunately, I was successful as a social work professor. But I realized that what I really wanted to be doing couldn't be done part time. I had tried to do it part time. I would get up at two in the morning and write for four hours and go back to sleep and then get up and teach for the day. And at a certain point, you realize that's not it. I have to choose. And I made my choice. And I feel very lucky that I was able to to do what I wanted to do. Now, now let me ask a question. Most people have amuse inside themselves that can write. When does your muse become active? Is it in the morning, the evening, at late at night? When do you like to write best? I'm best in the mornings. <clears throat> I um, 
I think the whole question of the muse and writing and the arts in general is a very interesting one. A lot of people think that you just get struck by inspiration or creativity, like a flash of lightning. And I don't remember who said this, but something like, you know, 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. You, you, you know, the idea that if you're sitting at your desk every morning for four hours, inspiration knows where to find you. So in many senses, it's work like any other where you put in your time and do your best. And then sometimes you're blessed with, with a really good idea or an inspiration, as one would like to say. Yeah. And, and I think that's true. Now, somebody once said, and I do not remember who said that, that it's easy to write. All you have to do is slit your wrists. And- <laughs> now, is that the way writing is with you or not? Well, that's a wonderful quotation. I think the man's name was Red something. He was a sports writer, but I haven't heard exactly, it in many years. Exactly. Yeah, all you have to do is slit open a vein or something. It's not always agonizing, thank God. I suppose if it were always agonizing, one could never bring oneself to do it. But it's correct in the sense that the normal kind of defenses and protections that you carry with you throughout a normal day, Don't work when you're writing, at least fiction. I don't know about sports. Well, apparently this man thought it was the same for sports writing. I know for academic writing, which was basically from the head up, I didn't have to engage emotionally with the same kind of depth. So it depends what you're writing. I know you've written academic books and you've written popular books. So I'm curious how you experience this. But for fiction, you really have to shed uh, a great deal of your normal defenses and get to a very deep place. And that's, I guess that's where the blood is, whether or not you're slitting your arm or whatever, which is a very violent term, you're going to a place that isn't always comfortable because it's not conscious and you're not in control. And very often I'll write something. I'll just write for an hour or two. And then I'll look at what I've written and I'll think, Oh, that's what I'm feeling. Oh, that's what I think. I had no idea because it doesn't come from the conscious place. If you're writing well, if you're writing properly. Yeah. (laughs) I always find it sort of like peeling an onion layer by layer. Mm. It often unfolds as that sort of thing that quite often I do not get to the core of the onion on the first goal. It takes many, many iterations to get me there and many different things to get me there. And sometimes it takes me reading other people's material to help me understand what I want to write. Exactly. I know exactly what you mean. One can be inspired or or triggered in the positive sense by other people. Sometimes you have to do it yourself. But of course, the world is full of ideas and and examples, and we all learn from each other, which enriches our own work. Well, it's, I'd say that writing is as complex as the people we write on, and that's very <laughs> complex, because each person has a level of complexity that is so deep and so hard to understand that, you know, 
brilliant people like Jung and Freud and, and other brilliant people tried to understand what people are. And I must admit, at this point in time, we still do not understand the entire complexity of the human genome and, and what people actually are and who they are. No, the depth, I, for some reason, I'm thinking of Buffy St. Marie's song, you know, the depth of a heart is a fathom unknown. It doesn't matter how much you think you know another person, you don't. And we hardly know ourselves. We think we know ourselves. And also there are fathoms and fathoms that we're not aware of, which is part of what makes life so interesting and part of what makes reading fiction or writing it so fascinating because it's endless. There's always more to a person and there's always more to a story. And to some extent, as with any conversation or any other kind of work, it involves making decisions about what to include and what not to include and what to focus on and so forth. But the richness is part of what's so exciting and the depth of it. And that's why I think people read and, and you, you know, you read a lot. I read a lot. And, and I think that's how you uncover the meaning of life and undercover it's, it's happiness and it's sorrow. You undercover all the, the multiple spectrums of life through those books that are there. And, and you do it in such a way that no movie or, or no radio or anything else can. It has to really come from from a book. And, you know, I, I read books on Kindle and I read books on in paper. I, I read them both ways because I think each has its own individual uh, uniqueness. And sometimes I, I like the Kindle because, you know, if I'm going to cut little parts of it and keep them and, and quote on them when I'm writing a blog, I love the Kindle because sure. I don't have to go and type out everything all over again. And it's, it's quite unique that way. But then there's auditory books, which I love too, mm -hmm. so that I can listen to a book while I'm exercising. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to use my whole day just, just reading it. It, it. it helps me save a little bit of time in my day. They're all very different experiences, and we're lucky to have these technologies, not only because of people who have visual problems and can't read or audio, you know, various kinds of uh, technological problems, but also I'm reading a book now that is 500 pages long, and I get tired of carrying it around. I'm happy to also have it on my phone so I can just read a few pages on, you know, when I'm waiting for someone or something like that, so... We're fortunate yeah. to have technology. We, we are so fortunate to have the technologies we do. And it allows me to communicate with you in Toronto mm -hmm. while I'm in Edmonton. And this is the wonderful thing of the world now that this particular uh, recording will be cut into little pieces and I could take little snippets of it mm -hmm. and I could take little parts of the text of it then and, and send it out to people so that they can become enthralled with it as well. So the technology world has helped us immensely. Oh yeah. I, I find in some corners, it's fashionable to be dismissive or contemptuous of technology and certainly you know, it's an aid to us. We shouldn't be slaves to it. It should serve us. But I think it's a remarkable gift. And if I think about how my grandparents would react if they were alive now seeing this, to them it would be a miracle. It is miraculous. 
And we look how far we've come in a hundred years and how far we've come in a thousand years. I mean, from papyrus to, to books and then to instant publishing where, where books can be done in a much shorter period of time than they used to be. So it's truly phenomenal how, how life has changed in, in the time that I've been involved with it. And at the same time, you're absolutely right. And at the same time, how little has changed. If you think about human nature, you think about there were wars, there are wars, you know, there is good and evil and there was good and evil. And so some things seem to be permanent features of the human being, regardless of our context. Although, and of course we're shaped and, and altered by our context, but I think we live in a fortunate time in many respects. I echo you there. Well, let's dive into your mm -hmm. first book. And I'm not sure how much we're going to get through of that, or you have your second book or third, but let's first dive into your first book. What's it called again? It's called Marrow and Other Stories. It's a collection of stories. And each of the stories deals with a particular issue there, not entirely, but mainly about women dealing with, with life. And this we've been talking about, you know, dealing with life in its depth. So, for example, Marrow deals with a woman who's lost a baby on a holiday. Um, another one is about sexual abuse by a leader in someone's religious community. Very shocking. Another is about a woman who was raped. Another is about anorexia. But uh, in this case, it's someone's cousin. And the question about what she can or cannot do to save her cousin and her feelings of helplessness and guilt uh, one of the stories is a rewrite of the biblical story, the Joseph story, and deals with envy and being outcast by one's siblings and finding the courage to forgive them. And another one uh, is about the experience of prayer and one's capacity for self-forgiveness, which is in many ways as much of a challenge as sometimes as forgiving others. So they're all about women coping, dealing with real life, you know, with the struggles of life. And yet, I would say in, in all cases, finding some kind of path forward and some way to live positively and hopefully in spite of the challenges. So, so why did you call it marrow? Why did you call it by that term versus the, all the other terms you could have chosen? Well, Marrow is the title story. That is the story where the woman loses a baby. Um, it was the first one that I wrote, and it's very short. It's only eight pages long. And it's actually, if anyone's interested, it's on my website, noragold.com. Um, but it's interesting that you raised that quotation about, you know, cutting your arm to get into the blood. All you have to do is slit your wrists or whatever, because marrow, it really refers to the marrow inside our bones. And in the story, she, she experiences the marrow inside her bones and the, uh, the beginning of her falling in love and experiencing her body and love and all the way through to having a baby and losing it and all of that stuff. But it's about the inner experience of, of oneself and one's body. And of course, marrow is the essence of the bone and of life. 
Yeah, I, I thought I should uh, make sure that people understand that because not everybody really can identify with that. You know, they they really can't. You know, Meryl, well, this just doesn't fit here. It doesn't really. You know, it's about a lady with losing her baby. Don't don't you know? And some people are very concrete like that and and can't go to that other level of abstraction. So I wanted to make sure that comes out in the interview here so that people will connect the dots, so to speak. And I'm make glad sure. you did. I'm glad you did. You know, some people might think, oh, is it about marrow bone soup? You know, it could be <laughs> could be about a lot of things. It, it could. And, and I think that's important. And what I'm trying to get at here is what you're writing about is very, very deep personal emotions and transitions these women went through in this book. Yes. And it's the same with my subsequent books. You know, um, I've published, I have had publishers publish three books and I have another one forthcoming. And Fields of Exile, which was uh, considered a more political book, but it's really a book about a student who is not allowed to express her views because she disagrees with the mainstream views at her university, at a fictitious Canadian university, and her search for courage to speak out. It's really about moral courage and the price that you sometimes pay for that. And this, the third book that was published is called The Dead Man, about a woman who's obsessed, who can't get over a relationship that she had in the past. And it really follows her journey to understand what this is really about. And by the end, there's some self-understanding and some light at the end of the tunnel. So all of them are really, as I said, struggling, but they're very strong and they, they come through. And it's the same sort of thing for my forthcoming book, which will be two novellas published with Guernica. And one of them is about... Um, it's called The Doctor, The Baker, The Lonely Student, and The Song. And it's about a group of strangers who come together and help each other, are thrown together by a circumstance and help each other. One of them is contemplating suicide. One of them has a, a spouse with a chronic illness, and he doesn't know how to live with that. One is a very lonely woman. One is a man who feels he's failed as an artist. Um, one of them is lives with his mother and feels he's a failure. And it's really about the power of community and uh, the power we have to help each other in this world. And the other one is called In Sickness and in Health. And it's about a woman who has a chronic illness that is not understood by the medical profession. And she's constantly being told that it's psychological, but it's not. It's physical. And the effect it has on her marriage, her feeling that she has to hide how sick she is. And if she doesn't, if she shows who she really is, maybe he won't love her, maybe he won't stay with her. So again, it's really about the courage to admit who you are and to stand on, on what you believe. And then in the journal I publish, I see the same sorts of themes all the time, jewishfiction.net, which is fiction translated from 18 languages around the world into English. Uh, on Jewish themes, but they're universal themes. They're about love and death and hope and struggles. And they're beautiful stories. And it's a free journal. It's online, Jewish, www.jewishfiction.net. Anybody can read and enjoy them.
And, and I'll tell our listeners, it's not limited to Jewish people reading up. This is for everybody. And, and this is the thing I love about Nora. She writes, uh, although her gender is, is woman and she is a person that has a particular background, she's also very welcoming to those others that may not be part of that, of her religion or things like that. So that's the beauty of this, the, of her work is these are universal themes that affect everyone. Absolutely. And I must say, the authors in our journal aren't all Jewish. It's, you know, it's not about that. It's about what it is to be human. And that's what we all are, for better or worse, <laughs> with all the good and all the challenges. Well, in my book, in my book, The Secrets of Living Fantastic Life, I talk about two wolves, a bad wolf and a good wolf. And the question is, which one uh, thrives? And it's the one that you feed is the one that thrives. So very, very important to realize that as we move these themes forward, we must thrive in such a way that the good themes overpower some of the bad themes that are coming out. And I think, you know, 2022 can be one of the most significant years of mankind where we can go to a whole new level of understanding of peace, joy, and happiness. But at the same time, it's a double-edged sword where we could go the exact opposite way. Like, the horrors of the Second World War and the First World War are also something that could come out this year if we're not cautious. Yeah. No, I fully agree. I think a lot of it is up to us. I mean, there are so many things in, in life, in our own lives and in the world that we have no control over. But one thing that we can work on in ourselves and in our communities and our countries is really our attitude and our mindset. And as you said, you know, what are you going to feed? You can create goodness around you and you can look for what is beautiful and strong and you can help to build your community because you're building an international community through your work, Dr. Leica. And I think um, I certainly want to hope that this will be a wonderful year and I hope we will all do everything we can to support the things in this world that we love and treasure and that need our support so that that's what thrives. Well, it's very interesting how my community has been building. We now have uh, a million or more listeners on my syndicated radio show. Wow. So on growing and growing and growing. And, and soon I will be also the host and executive producer of a television show on on a new network called the Vision Network. So oh. for you who are listening to this broadcast, stay tuned. There's a lot of interesting things that will be coming out. And in the future, I also will be doing some retreats for people where I hope to have a writing retreat that might help some people and other retreats that'll help people in other ways that will help people in other ways. So stay tuned. There's a lot of exciting things coming out in the near future. And I know without a doubt that Nora and I will meet paths many, many times through this journey because our journey is very similar. It's, it's a journey that's intertwined in many ways. Although she writes uh, 
as her primary thing. And my main vernacular right now is the, the visual and auditory media. It's, it's media that helps people transcend the reality of today and helps to take them to a higher plane. I think we all have to do what we can in that regard, you know, and uh, I'm excited to hear about your TV show and your retreats. And I do look forward to crossing paths and intersecting again. Well, I have one question to ask you. Our time has flown by as I promised you it would. (laughs) And it's this, this show is called how to live a fantastic life. Mm -hmm. So you Nora gold on a personal level, how do you live a fantastic life? That's a wonderful question. And since I met you, I've been thinking a lot about the word fantastic. And the root of it, of course, is fantasy, uh, which I take not in the sense of, in a negative sense of, oh, something's fantasy, it's not realistic, but in the sense of dreams. And I think what makes a fantastic life is the capacity to dream, to have dreams. And not dreams just for yourself, you know, person who wants to get rich or famous or whatever, but dreams for oneself as part of the world, to have a dream for the world and to see your place in it as part of humanity, part of the world's dreams. Well, that's a beautiful thing. And I can see that you fit in part of the world's dreams through your writing, through your living, through your publishing through your online journal, etc. Thank you so much, Dr. Laika. And, and so I must thank you for being here. And I want to ask two questions. First of all, is how can people get copies of your books? And please name them again, because mm-hmm. people might be interested in a particular one, and we might have glossed over it a little bit. And because they're listening, they might be driving in their car as they're listening to this and might not remember. So first say them. Thank you. Well, my books are all available on Amazon and also in some smaller bookstores. Uh, One is grateful to Amazon in spite of some of the criticisms people sometimes say. They're wonderful for being able to make books easily available. My books are called Marrow and Other Stories. Fields of Exile, and The Dead Man. Fantastic. Now, how can people find out about your other materials on the Internet (laughs) so they can go there as well? Well, thank you again. Uh, My website is www.noragold, one word, N-O-R-A-G-O-L-D.com. And the journal, jewishfiction.net, which, as I said, was free and available online, is www.jewishfiction, one word, dot net. And we welcome to see you all there. Wow. (laughs) You see, time flies by when we're on the show. It's almost like we just started and it's already (laughs) time to, to be there. So, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you take advantage of the resources that I gave you there. And I really want you to have a fantastic day. And I'd like to thank Nora for spending this time with us and helping to to make this a great show and, and spending the wisdom that she's accumulated. Well, I'd like to thank you. It's been wonderful talking to you, Dr. Laika. Well, thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. 
You've been listening to How to Live a Fantastic Life. Be sure and pick up a copy of Dr. Laika's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life, on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. Have a fantastic day. Fantastic day.